welcome to the best show in the world. It's called Damn Mom Really, also known as the show that nobody wants to be on and everybody wants to listen to. My name is Danae Reed and I'm going to be the host of this show for the next hour. So sit back and relax and listen to us laugh, cry, yell, curse, do whatever we got to do to get through the grief of losing our mamas. This beat that you're listening to was made by Scott Reed Jr. What's up, everybody? It's your girl, Danae, back with my podcast. Damn, Mom, really the podcast that nobody wants to be on and everybody wants to listen to. As always, I have a great guest here with me today. She's here to talk about her grandmother, and I'm just super excited to have her here to hear her story. We met super randomly at a clothing swap event like a couple months ago, and now she's here on my podcast. So Alana, what's up? Say hello to the people and let everybody know why you're here. Hey, how's it going? I'm so glad to be here. I loved meeting you. It was a very random act of God, we'll say. (laughs) Destiny. But yeah, I'm here. I'm here to talk about my grandmother, who was very near and dear to me very much. I attribute a lot of who I am to her, and I hope I can carry that spirit with me, make her proud. And, you know, she was just a force to be reckoned with. Of course. So, you know, before we got on this chat, it's not really a chat. I don't know, video call. I don't know what this is. We're going to call it a conversation. Before we started thing conversation, we were kind of just talking about how people kind of forget grandmothers when it comes to just the idea of mother figures, you know. And it sounds like your grandmother was such a central force to you. So can you tell us a little bit about her and why you chose to use this platform to talk about what that loss means to you? Absolutely. So for me, I mean, I am fortunate that my mom is still alive, but my grandmother was very, very close to me. For a little bit of context for you, my dad was sick my entire life from the time I was four. And so while my mom was a very amazing or is a very amazing and present mom, she's also a full-time caretaker for my dad. And that made it very difficult. So we really relied on our village, if you will, uh, in raising my brother and I. And I think a large part of that village was my grandmother, who we call Bubby, Jewish. So Bubby is is Yiddish, her grandmother. And so my Bubby for me was just like the spiciest woman, truly like she walked into a room and everybody stopped, you know. She was loud. She was funny. She was boisterous, like very Long Island Jewish grandmother, thick accent hair always done, nails always done, like it's giving claws, lipstick always done, makeup perfect. Like she was just truly like the most glamorous. I have one of my favorite pictures of her. She's just like randomly just like in a fur coat and like a fluffy hat wearing lingerie underneath and like lip. And I think she was in her 60s when she took this picture. I was like, we come from generations of bad bitches, you know. exactly so she was just amazing and she really made me the person that I am in a lot of ways I think being able to grow up with her you know like I said I love my mother to pieces and we have a very close relationship but my mom is somebody who is very very selfless and kind and puts herself before or puts everybody else before her and her needs and can be very much a people pleaser. And I think I learned how to be a people pleaser from that in a way that was unhealthy for me. And my grandmother was the person that taught me how to set boundaries and taught me how to stand up for myself and taught me how to own who I am. 
she was a plus-size woman. She was a big woman, and she always rocked it and was always the most gorgeous, like, always captured everybody's attention. She always had a hot man on her arm. Like, it didn't matter what size she was. And so I think me being a plus-size woman also is something that I learned a lot from her, just to embrace myself authentically. And she was such a good example of that. Thank you for sharing that. So I know, again, we talked off the record, and this is something that I would love to talk about, just the grieving process as a person who is Jewish, because you're the first person on my show that is Jewish. Hey, hey, hey. Either been Christian or, you know, didn't necessarily believe. So I would love to hear about how Jewish folks tend to, or I guess your family specifically, approach grief from that standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. I can say when it comes to death, we have a really interesting way of looking at it because not all Jews believe in heaven or hell. Most, most Jews don't. We don't really know. And we accept that we don't really know. Some people do believe in heaven and that's okay, but it's something that's debated. And, you know, I had friends or people that would approach me after, you know, I lost loved ones, after I lost my grandmother, after I lost my dad who passed five years ago. They came to me and they said, like, oh, he's in a better place now. And like, that's not something Jewish people say because we don't necessarily know or believe that. So the way that we honor grief is by honoring life. So we say, may their memory be a blessing in your life. That's how we offer condolences. So it's like, I hope that person's memory is a blessing in your life. I hope that, you know, when you think of love, you think of that person and you can exude the pieces of you that you got from them and give it to other people and show it as acts of love for other people. So thank you for that. I love that sentiment. Yeah, absolutely. And then I guess in terms of our beyond our grieving process, or I guess just that greeting is the right word for it. Maybe not greeting, but how you speak to somebody who's passed. Of course, I'm never offended by anybody from a different faith or background that would say something else. But like, oh, you have an angel watching over you. Maybe I get that sometimes. And I am a very spiritual person. I do believe that my loved ones are watching over me in some capacity. But it's a little bit different from like Christianity and believing that they're in heaven. And so I know that for me, I choose to focus on what I had gotten from them out of my life with them. When it comes to grief, though, specifically and the funeral process or the burial process or honoring their death. Jewish people come together and we always do closed casket funerals. That's really important. So Jewish people are not allowed to be cremated, although some people decide to be cremated anyway if you're a little bit more secular, I guess, and that's totally fine. But in very religious Judaism, you're not supposed to be cremated. So most Jews are buried and we always do closed casket funerals because the idea is to honor that person's memory and remember them in life, not in death. And so we have a lot of different customs and traditions when it comes to the funeral process, but the grieving process, especially, we rely largely on our community. So for the first seven days after somebody has died, we do something called sitting shiva. That's a process where the family stays at home and they're grieving and members from the community come every day and pray with you, bring you food, cook you meals, make sure that you're okay, check in with you. And it, honestly, it's very nice to have that support. It's also extremely overwhelming just because it's seven days of like sometimes hundreds of people coming to your house and you haven't even had a chance to process the death yet. But 
I guess, you know, for me, I was lucky to have a community that I grew up in. I felt supported by. So, yeah, I mean, it was a complex but beautiful experience. And, you know, sitting Shiva last seven days, but the Shiva grieving process, they say, is up to a year. But grief is never, you know, never something that goes away. It just gets smaller, I would say. It gets easier, but it's still there. Yeah, it's funny you say that because after... My family and like, you know, I guess I should say maybe I don't know if it's Christian or if it's like a black family type thing. I don't know if everybody's family does this. My family also kind of did that, like for at least a week or at least up to the funeral, people were pretty much coming by every single day. I feel like that actually kind of lasted for like a month. After I lost my mom, people would come bring food, clean, do all these different things. And you're right. It does. It's beautiful because you see how much community you have and how people love you. But it does get a little bit overwhelming because like, wow, I literally have not even processed the fact that this person I love is no longer here and now you're in my house so I feel that yeah no and it's so overwhelming because everybody's like trying to talk to you and I'm like I don't want to talk to anybody right now I, I think weirdly enough like the shiva process when my bubby died was somehow easier I think you know she was older and she had cancer and so it didn't make her death easy by any means, but I think I processed that grief. I was able to like say goodbye to her and do that in my own way. And so a Shiva, while it is a mourning, is also a celebration of their life and it can very much be a celebration. So that one to me felt more like, I don't want to say a party, but almost like a party for her life. And so it was a very bittersweet memorial and moment fitting Shiva for her. Still overwhelming, but like ultimately something that I look at and remember really fondly. I think when my dad passed, that was a much different loss. I think losing a grandparent when you're younger is really tough, but sort of to be expected and losing a parent when you're young is a really drastic difference in feeling because it's processing like, fuck, my parent was in their early 50s. Like, and they're not going to be at my wedding. They're not going to be at all these important moments. And nobody tells you what to do with that. And then after a few months, you know, people check in. And I, I'm sure you relate to this. I'd love to hear your perspective on it a little bit. But I think for me, with every loss that I've had, whether it was parent, grandparent, or otherwise, you know, people would check in maybe the first month. And some people would check in a month or two later. But after that, everybody just forgets and moves on and you're still holding this weight and this heaviness and this thing that nobody understands. And I think especially losing a parent young, people who are also young just can't possibly fathom what that feels like, that massive loss and the gravity of it. Yeah, you know what's funny is like you, I have a really great community of friends, of family, of just people around me. And I had heard, you know, people say like after like a month, people are going to stop checking in and, you know, and it's interesting because that is kind of true, but it's such an interesting thing because I think that my friends tend to ask me if I'm doing okay without asking. They reach out without kind of saying, and I remember recently I had a conversation with a friend and I'm like, and he's probably like the closest friend that I have. And I was having a moment and I was like, you never ask me how I'm feeling. And he was like, I asked you how you're doing all the time. And I'm like, no, but you never asked me how I'm feeling about my mom. Why? And his response was, oh, I just want to make things as normal as possible. And I think that that's a lot of people's disposition. They want to make things as normal as possible. But for 
anybody who's listening, at, at least, and I'm not speaking for Alana, but I'm speaking for myself. And I'm so happy you brought this up because for me, it's like my life isn't normal and I don't want to treat it that way. I like to talk about my like I talk about my mom on social media. I have a whole podcast dedicated to my mom and understanding grief and understanding, you know, helping other people do the same thing. And it's just like, you don't need to try to make me feel normal. I want to talk about it. I want to ask. I want to be asked. That's just my little um, swoon. I completely agree. I think, you know, it's tough because like I said, it feels like the world moves on and you're just stuck with it. And people that haven't gone through it can't possibly understand until they want to support you in the best way that they maybe know how or think that they can but a lot of the time they just kind of feel awkward and maybe don't want to bring it up but I think checking in on your friends and be like how are you feeling especially around holidays around birthdays like big events I think that's the best time to really be like hey I know this is a tough time like do you need anything how you feeling you want to talk about it I'm here like even just that extra thought of support it means a lot so I agree with you 100%. So I'm going to ask you a question that's pretty personal. And if you decide you don't want to go there, that's fine. But if you do, that's fine too. So my mom is a person who is extremely full of life, very charismatic, very beautiful, and just all around amazing. And accepting her, I've talked about this before on the podcast. I don't know if you know this, Alana, but I lost my mom in a car accident. And so losing my mom in such a catastrophic way when I feel like she deserves so much better than that has been really tough for me moving forward. I wanted to know from your perspective as somebody who has a grandmother who sounds just so ferociously about life and full of life and taking so much charge, how did you feel to hear that she succumbed to something like cancer? Like, was that a weird moment for you? I mean, it was definitely difficult. She had been battling for a while. And so it wasn't, I can't say it was too much of a surprise in the sense of like, you know, there were times I would joke and we would all joke in my family because she was truly like the spiciest, loudest woman. And we were, I was just like, nah, she's going to outlive me. Like, we'll be fine. I'm not worried about it. But yeah, I mean, it was definitely, it was tough, but it wasn't something that was unexpected, like how you lost your mom, something like a tragic accident or anything like that. It was, so I think in that sense, I was able to get a little bit of closure. And because I knew when she was deteriorating, I actually, I had a moment, I would say the day before she passed. She was no longer responsive and just, you know, kind of in a coma, comatose state. And her sister and her niece were driving down from New York. I grew up in Delaware, but all of my family is from New York. And I just had a moment where, you know, I had this gut feeling. I'm like, it's not going to be a long time. I don't know if it was some sort of divine intervention or what, but I was like, something's telling me to go say my piece and have a, an alone moment with her. And I remember getting in my car. She died in my senior year of high school. So I had a bright yellow beetle. <laughs> I got in my bright yellow beetle. I drove right to the hospital and I went and I sat with her. And I just said anything I needed to say. And I remember telling her, I was like, Bubby, your sister and your niece are coming to see you. And they're going to be here tonight. And if you can hold on until then so they can say goodbye, do that. But then once you have that moment, you can pass and you don't have to hold on anymore. It's okay. I remember they came and they saw her that night and she died the next morning. And I just, it just, something in that, like, it was a hard moment, but it was 
so important that I was able to have that with her. And I think she was that kind of feisty woman where I think she would have kept fighting for a long time if somebody hadn't told her like, hey, we're going to be okay. Like I said, I was grateful that I was able to have that closure with her. And while it was still very difficult, I think that having that moment was ultimately a hard but positive thing for me. Yeah. Do you think that just knowing who she was before her illness to the point that she got to right before she passed, do you think that that is what encouraged your bravery to have that conversation with her that day? Because that's such a heavy conversation to have at 17, 18 years old as a senior in high school. Absolutely. Yeah. I think just seeing her deteriorate, seeing her struggle and knowing that like she was not the woman that I grew up with anymore. Like in that moment, she was truly this, the shell of this person that I loved so deeply. And I just knew like it wasn't going to serve her to keep trying to fight because unfortunately, like it probably wasn't going to get better from there. It definitely wasn't going to get better from there. And we knew that, but I knew that it was just a moment I really needed to have with her in the sense of, like I said, because she was so feisty, I really think she would have kept trying to fight in there for a little bit longer. Somebody didn't say, you're good. Like, (laughs) we're fine. Get out of here. We're good. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So, you know, my standpoint, I'm not Christian, but I was raised in a Christian family and I celebrate Christmas. I'm like, I pretty much do everything except for consider myself a Christian. But I think that, you know, for me, somebody asked me on my last episode, if I find closure, if I found closure in losing my mom, And I'm having a hard time finding the fullness of that because of the circumstance. But having this idea that she is in heaven for me brings me some sort of closure in some regard because I know that I will see her again if I am a good person, I guess. I guess that's how heaven works. I'm like, don't quote me. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. So for you, you know, like you're saying, and I'm kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, but for you, you're saying like, your closure is in the fact that you had a great time with her while she was here. I think in part, I think for me, so just, you know, to go back a little bit, I was raised Jewish and quite religious, but I don't consider myself very religious anymore. So like I'm Jewish culture, culturally and ethnically, but religiously, not so much. Like I all celebrate the holidays with my family, but I personally don't go to synagogue anymore, or there are certain values of Judaism that I still uphold within my life but when it comes to observing religious rituals I don't do that often at least not on my own unless I'm with my family with that said I am a very spiritual person I think my spirituality is sort of separate from my Judaism and so for me I do believe that there is an afterlife I don't know what that looks like I don't know if I believe traditionally in a heaven or if I believe more in that sort of reincarnation sort of deal. I don't know truly what that is, but I do believe that so that the soul lives on. And so I think for me, I have a peace and comfort, not only in feeling that I will see them again, but sensing that they're always around me and that they're a part of me. And so when I miss them, I look at the parts of myself that they created and I can hold on to that. And that's something that brings me joy. Like If you're saying your mom is somebody who's this charismatic, beautiful, lively, vibrant person, it's clear that you got that from her. And the people in your life that you meet are blessed to experience that when they meet you. And in doing so, they're also meeting your mom. And I think, like, 
you living is an act of sharing her with people. Does that make sense? Wow. You like got me speechless over here. I that's wow. Thank you for that. I love the approach to things. And I feel like I've kind of heard people say that before, but the way you said it right now, you know, sometimes you just need to be in a specific mindset and a specific moment and things just like hit differently. I like felt like you were speaking to people. So thank you so much for that. So I know earlier you were saying that your mom was really taking care of your dad and you lost your grandmother before you lost your father. I'm curious to know how the dynamic of your family changed once your grandmom passed. Did your mom sort of become a woman wearing multiple hats more so? Like, what was that like for you and your family? Sure. I would say my mom was kind of always wearing multiple hats, to be honest with you. My parents were very traditional in the sense that, at least in my young life, my dad was the one who handled finances and, like, you know, had his own businesses. And my mom was a mom. But my dad got sick when I was four years old. And so... While my mom had helped him with everything in his businesses and truly was like his partner in in everything, that was a system that worked for them. But when he got sick, you know, when he got sick when I was four years old, they didn't expect that it would be a lifetime of that. They expected, oh, he's going to get better. Oh, he's going to get better. Oh, it's going to improve. And it didn't. It just kept declining. And so I think the dynamic, you know, it was tough. To give you a little bit more background, like my dad was extremely ill. He was also, as a result, a narcotic addict. And so he was in and out of rehab. And that was tumultuous. And I think my grandmother, my my bubby, was somebody that really helped hold us together. She was somebody, you know, it was my bubby was my dad's mom. And so she was somebody who, like, would be the first person to call my dad out. And my dad was like, we loved him to pieces, but he was also scary when he was angry. Like he was, you know, we didn't speak up to him. We didn't do that. But my Bobby sure did. And she didn't care. And she just had no problem calling him out and really like being there to support us through a lot of those really tough moments. So I think in losing her, it was difficult because I was navigating this relationship with my sick parent without that support. And as she got sick, my mom was also caretaking for her on top of my dad as well. There was a point where my bubby had actually moved in with us until my mom was like full-time nurse for my dad and my bubby at the same time. So while that was really difficult for my mom, it also made it so that I was the caretaker for my mother, who was the caretaker for everybody else. So it created this really strange dynamic where I sort of mommed my own mom through a lot of my life I became her therapist and best friend and and we do we have this beautiful like best friend dynamic but it feels I think more best friend dynamic than it feels like a traditional mother and daughter dynamic which I'm not complaining about I'm really grateful for my mother but it definitely I feel like you know that strong strong feisty woman that like put her foot down that was my bubby and losing that was difficult for me in terms of navigating that relationship with my dad and then of the loss of him as well, not having her. She was such a cheerleader for everything in life. So it was tough. Yeah, I think a lot of people who haven't experienced grief don't realize the domino effect that grief or losing somebody comes with. You know, it's not just the loss, it's the things that come after it. It's the way that your roles change. It's the way that you 
talk changes, the way that you live changes completely. And I think that sometimes people, again, who just haven't experienced it, don't necessarily know that it's a continuation. It's not just, and that's why going again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, I think it really is important to continue to check in because grief is different every month for me. It's different every year for me. You know, like when I first lost my mom, you know, I was a girl who had just lost her mom. And now I'm a girl who's like thinking about the future and also thinking about the fact that I lost my mom. And so today, you know, whereas maybe when I first lost my mom, for example, the first thing I thought was like, okay, well, by the time I pass, I will have lived more life without my mom than I have with her. And now I'm a little bit older and I'm like, okay, well, I'm thinking about I want to have kids and I want to get married. And so like, again, the, the version of me that is grieving now is a lot different from who I was before. Like, and the way that I grieve my mom is different than it was before. And it changes and it morphs and, you know, but no sect of that is any more or less valid than the rest of it. And so thank you for speaking on that. because. Again, it's something that like we can continue to go in a circle and talk about it, but it's like one of those things where if you don't know, like, and if you don't, if if you're not in it, you just kind of are just not in it. Right. No, you're so, I couldn't have put it better myself. And I think the thing that really stands out to me that resonates with me that you said was, you know, realizing that you will have lived more of your life without them than with them. And that's such a difficult thing to digest. That's such a difficult thing to digest, especially when you have such a catastrophic loss in your 20s. And, you know, you're so young in your 20s and your 20s are such a pivotal time. And you want that womanly, like that maternal figure in your life to be like, hey, like I'm struggling with dating and I'm struggling with my career. What did you do? And it's like, oh my God, I can't tell you how many times I've been like, I wish I could pick up the phone and call my bubby anytime I have a loss. Anytime I have a win, I just like, it's been almost 10 years since she passed and I'm still like, God, I wish I could pick up the phone and call her and celebrate this win with her or get her support through this difficult thing or decision that I'm making because I know hearing her would make me feel better and she would offer the best advice. So not having that and knowing I'm not going to have that is difficult, but I think at the same time, we know these people that we lost and we are, we carry the people that we lost. And so I think many parts of us know already what they would say and what they would do. And I think we can lean into that. And it's not the same. It's not the same as calling them. It's not the same as having that comfort and that conversation. But I think knowing that they had the will and the strength to get through anything that they got through and the support, like how grateful I am to have had experienced love like that in my life I'm so grateful to have such beautiful love in my life that it made it so difficult to leave and so you know I think just carrying that with me and knowing you know I'm not going to have this these people in my life that I loved so much and I'm not my my kids aren't going to get to meet them and my spouse isn't going to get to meet them and those are those were really difficult pill to swallow but that's part of grief that's the part. It's a very large, difficult part of the grieving process. And like I said, I think that we let them live on through us, through the stories we tell and through those parts of ourselves that are them. Right, right. So it's been almost 10 years or it's been around 10 years since your, your grandmother has passed. How is grief different for you from when it first happened to now? That's a good question. 
you know, it's changed, of course. It's changed, I think, in a lot of ways it's gotten easier. It's not that direct in your face. Like, I still miss her every day, of course. I still have a moment pretty much every day where I think about her and, you know, would just, like, love to talk to her, get a hug from her, you know. But I think it becomes more manageable in coping, I think. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard the ball in a box analogy for grief. So the idea of, you know, it's the ball strength, but it gets, it, you know, the grief is still there. It can be triggered. And I think it's such a great analogy because it is always there and the ball will continue to get smaller, but the grief never gets smaller. So when it is triggered, it's just as painful. But I think in grieving her, I think I have to grieve her through all stages of my life because there's always going to be milestones that you're going to hit and she's unfortunately still not going to be there. And so that's always going to be difficult. That's never going to be easier. And while we have other love and support in our life, and I think that that makes it helpful and it, it allows us to get through that, it, it's never going to be the same. And so as I'm, you know, making strides in my career or I move, we're entering new relationships or whatever the case may be in my future, you know, she's not going to be able to be there as that cheerleader for me as she was through my whole childhood. And I'm sure that that's something that you can definitely relate to because that loss is very real and the grief changes as you change. Yeah, so much. I definitely do. Like even in the midst of sitting here talking to you, I'm like, damn, how am I sitting here talking about this and like it's in relation to my mom like I have those moments a lot so I feel like I'll I'll continue it doesn't feel real yeah oh my god it doesn't and that's kind of leading to my next question which is did the 10 years go by quickly yeah I think it kind of flew by I have moments where I'm like I can't believe it's been well I think it'll be technically nine years but like I can't believe it's been nine years I truly can't even fathom that as a concept it is mind-boggling to me that this person hasn't been in my life for almost nine years and it feels like it was yesterday when she was you know teaching me how to put on lipstick properly (laughs) like line my lips you know but just like it's tough it's tough I think that feeling of you know it still doesn't feel real to me sometimes like I still have moments where I'm like, you know, especially losing a parent too, like after my dad died, that one was super difficult in the sense of like, it really didn't feel real. It really didn't make sense to me. I feel like it took like two years of him not being around for me to be like, okay, like he died. <laughs> not to be so blunt about it, but honestly. If you could take one thing that you learned from your grandmother and pass it down to your child or your grandchild, what one thing would that be? That's such a good question. You know, it's hard to take all of the things that she brought to me and sum it up into one thing. But I guess the thing that really stands out to me is to lead with kindness and authenticity. I think no matter what, she was so, so unapologetically herself. And that made her this magnetic that everybody wanted to be around. She didn't care. She was loud. She was boisterous. She cursed like a sailor. She hit on pretty much every single man that she met and she did not care. Like, I'd be like, Bobby, you gotta chill. Like, you're doing too much. You're doing too much. We're out for dinner. Like, you can't keep sitting on this waiter. Sexual harassment. Like, it's fine. 
like okay <laughs> but like all jokes aside she made everybody laugh she made people feel good and i think being unapologetically yourself leading with that authenticity and also uplifting other people telling you know supporting them telling them i love giving strangers compliments for example that's the thing i really like learned from her is it's important to me to make other people feel good to whether i meet somebody for a moment in time or we create some sort of a relationship i always want those moments uh where they're left feeling good about the experience they had with me they feel lighter they feel you know supported they feel safe comfortable happier you know you never know what people are going through so even if it's a barista at a coffee shop just asking about their day and really meaning it and having a conversation those are things that I really got from her of like just spreading that kindness and as cheesy as it might sound I really think it makes a difference when you lead your life with that yeah now if I'm wrong about this I'm going to be so upset you're a comedian right I am I am yes See, I'm happy I remember. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so your grandmother is this funny woman and you're also this funny person. Is anything in your act derived from the fact that your grandmother was who she was and is who she is? All the time. I do impressions of her all the time because she was just like so insane, just like constantly in your face. I don't know if you've heard about the concept of Jewish guilt before, but that's something that comes up a lot in my stand-up. If you don't know about Jewish guilt, it's the idea of like making you feel guilty about something you really shouldn't be feeling guilty about. It's kind of fucked up, but she would like do that all the time. She would call me like this. She would be like, she'd keep calling the house, right? And we would talk to her all the time. She probably called our house like 30 times a day. Mind you, she lived five minutes away. And so I'd pick up the phone and she'd be like, Alana, you never call me. You never write. I could be dead on the floor and you wouldn't even check in to know. And I'd be like, Bubby, if I didn't hear from you within an hour, I would know something is wrong. Like, are you fucking, like, be for real. <laughs> she was always like this, just constant with that. Or, you know, she'd come in and she'd be like, you look a little cold. You look a little cold. Do you need a sweater? I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good, Bubby. Thank you. She's like, are you sure? Because you look a little cold. Bubby, are you cold? Oh, you know, now that you mention it, I'm a little bit chilly. Do you want me to get you a sweater? Oh, that would be so lovely. Thank you for asking. I'm like, if that's just how she was. She just was very, like, unapologetically. She spoke her own language. It was constant, like, decoding. I love how you were able to just hop into that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, no, she was so funny. I'll have to send you a picture and video. She was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. She sounds hilarious and amazing. And I'm just so happy that you're able to carry her with you and all those positive memories that you have with her and that you're going to continue to take with you and that she continues to influence you today. How is your mom doing, though, in the midst of all of this? You know, I think my mom's healing process and her grief it's been tough and it's also been really different because she was losing her mother-in-law who was very much like a second mom to her and somebody she was very close with. But on top of that, her husband. And I think for my mom, you know, my parents, they were very attached at the hip and very, very in love with each other my whole life. I was really grateful to have parents with that relationship maybe a little too codependent to be honest with you but they really 
were like obsessed with each other and did everything with each other. And so I think for her, when she lost my dad, she really felt like she lost her other half and she felt really lost. I remember her coming to me and being like, you know, my kids have grown up and my husband has died and I feel like my role as a mom, like I've retired and I don't know what to do with myself. I feel like I'm starting over. And for her, that was so scary. Also, because like I said, my dad, you know, for the most part, at least for sure, my younger life handled running businesses and stuff. And so my mom had to then re-enter the workforce, which is something she hadn't properly done in a long time. And that was really difficult for her too, I think. You know, she really had to start her life over. And so she's done so beautifully. It's been like five years now. She's in a new relationship with somebody who treats her really well and is great. And we love him. And, you know, she seems happy and she's doing okay. But it's not to say that she doesn't still miss my dad all the time or grieve him. She absolutely does. But I think, you know, it's definitely been a process for her. I think in many ways, like when I lost my dad, I was 20 years old and just starting my life, just finishing college, just entering, you know, looking for a job. And my mom, in many ways, had to start from the same place that I was. And that was something really interesting and really unique that we kind of bonded over and were able to support each other through and still do. Well, yes, I'm so happy that everybody's healing. Everybody's doing good and on the up and up. Mama is out here and dating and thriving. Alana, this has been such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for opening up my worldview in regards to so many things. We talked about, you know, losing a grandmother. We talked about parents. We talked about so much, you know, and I just, I really appreciate, I mean, even like learning about how Jewish people grieve or tend to grieve, you know, I just think that this has been such a fruitful conversation and I'm so grateful for you. But before I let you go, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on that we did not get to touch on or anything that you want to say before we say goodbye? Mm -hmm. I feel like we covered pretty much everything that, you know, we needed to cover, but I think I just want to reiterate, you know, the idea that your mom would be really proud of all that you're doing to honor her and heal through this because I know it's, it's really difficult. And I know I never got to meet your mom and I unfortunately never will, but I do feel that I've met her through you. And some of these best parts of you are undoubtedly her speaking through you. And so I'm so grateful to her and to you for this conversation and having that experience. Wow, thank you so much alana can i just say before i let you go i love when i get to the end of the episode and the person is like we covered everything i'm like boom got it we did it we did the thing and you know and i know you're so very proud of you too but without further ado i want to thank you so much for coming on damn mom really the podcast that nobody wants to be on and everybody wants to listen to and i also want to thank you guys for listening to an episode uh, you guys are always here always listening and i appreciate it so much I will see you guys in 10 days. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave us a review and a comment. It's super, super helpful to us. And as promised, there's a relaxing cool down slash guided meditation by Liliana Rasmussen coming up in five, four, three, two. Welcome to this guided meditation session to create a safe place for you. Chronic pain can be very hard to handle, but many times when we create a mental image of our suffering, 
We tend to aggravate this pain, thus increasing it. Then every time we feel the sensation, we will have a negative thought attached to it on a conscious and subconscious level. So what this meditation will teach you are techniques to change the mental image that has been created from this pain and instead implement a peaceful association with pleasant visualizations that create a warmer bonding between you and your body's sensations. This allows you to accept and allow instead of fight and push away. Make sure you're in a very comfortable position. Sit down or lay down if that feels good for you, however you need to position yourself so that none of your muscles are activated or tense. Every part of your body can rest and feel completely relaxed during this meditation. Begin by taking five deep breaths to relax even more. One, full breath in and let it go. Two, fully inhale and exhale. Three, breathe in as much as you can and let it go, feeling a wave of relaxation come over you. Four, inhale deeply and exhale, feeling invigorated. Five, last one, fully inhale and exhale, feeling any tension loosen up and your body feeling extremely relaxed. Good. And just allow your breath to slow and flow naturally now. Don't try to change anything about it. Just notice the calmness that these five breaths gifted you. Notice how your body breathes without you doing anything at all. Begin to feel any sensations that you associate with your pain. Bring them into your awareness and allow these feelings to multiply. You're completely safe and secure. It's okay to allow these sensations to arise. They will not harm you. Put all of your focus on these areas. Really feel their exact position and the quality of the sensations. What's the pain like for you? Is it stinging, tingling, or burning? Perhaps it's like something else. In your mind, describe every detail and then sit with it. Be entirely with it while it presents itself. Don't do anything about it except feel it. Allow the sensations to grow and don't stop them. Just see what they do. Notice the details of changes the sensations make. Good. You're doing so well. Now switch your focus and bring into your mind's eye a visual of a place you love to go or have been to that is very serene and peaceful for you. It could be an imaginary place like on top of a gorgeous mountain or somewhere you frequently go, like a nearby nature path. Your favorite place could be as simple as your warm, cozy bed next to a loved one. Wherever this place is for you, see it vividly right now. Start by visualizing all the physical aspects of this place. Where are you? What do you see when you look up? If you're outside, it could be the sky. If you're in a safe room somewhere, it could be the ceiling. Notice everything you see when you look up. Now look down and at your feet. What does the ground look like below you? He's all around this favorite place of yours, making the colors bright and vivid. Make out even more details now, like the leaves on the trees and plants, or the things that are placed around the room. Do you notice any patterns anywhere? They could be patterns in nature, like the way things grow, or the patterns of fabrics and objects in a room. Notice every pattern you can find in great detail. The more details you can imagine, the better. How dark or light out is it? What time of the day do you think it is? And make a judgment about the placement of the sun in the sky. Which way is the light of the sun coming into your imagination? Look at all of the beautiful things that make this place so enjoyable for you. Use your visual creativity of this place for the next several moments. Nice. Now you are going to bring about the sensations this beautiful spot offers. Start by tapping your feet on the ground. 
Is the surface hard or soft? Feel the ground below you here with your feet, noticing anything you can about it. Become aware of the temperature in this place. Is it cool or warm or hot? Is there a breeze blowing or is the air calm and still? Can you feel the sun on your skin? Sit with these sensations for a few moments and enjoy them. Are there any smells here? If you're imagining the beach, maybe you can smell the salty air, or if you're in a forest, the smell of nature. Just notice how your sense of smell can create sensations of aromas for you when you put your mind to it. What about sounds? Bring fully into this experience any sounds that surround you here. Perhaps you hear a loved one nearby. Perhaps you're alone and you can hear the sounds that nature creates for you. Vividly hear any sounds in this experience. Sit with these senses activated for a few moments and begin to interact with your environment. Great. To relax even further, become aware of what you're doing here. Are you sitting down and relaxing or walking around and exploring? Are you doing exactly what you love and want to do? See yourself being completely relaxed and happy here. There's no need to do anything here but relax and enjoy it. Be assured that this place is always here for you to keep you safe if you need to flee from pain. Take another slow and deep breath in. And as you exhale, you feel at complete peace with yourself and all the sensations in your body. As I speak these words to you, you are changing the mental images associated with your pain. Whenever you feel overwhelmed by the sensations in your body, repeat this exercise to accept the pain and change the thoughts associated with it. When you use this technique, you will stop the pain from becoming aggravated and growing stronger. When you vividly visualize a safe and peaceful place in moments of distress, you are slowing down your pulse and blood pressure, creating a peaceful and strong connection to your body and mind. Allow yourself to slowly become aware of your surroundings, and whenever you're ready, open your eyes, ready to go about your day peacefully.